We're talking about satisfying our spiritual thirst. Uh, we didn't get the uh, sermon outlines into your programs this morning, and so if you would like one of those and you didn't get one, um, you can raise your hand and uh, somebody's around here that'll bring one to you. Is that, Jim, you got those? Yeah. All right. So just raise your hand high and uh, Jim will come around uh, and hand those out as we begin the message time. We uh, are in chapter four of the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter four. Uh, Francesca Renderos, age 22, was a waitress working on an ordinary Wednesday night in a Houston restaurant when she was stunned by grace. At one of her tables sat Doug Brown. Doug is a mortgage broker, and he had a business meeting there. He was trying to attract the business of six female real estate agents who were a team. And so he was having dinner with them. And so when Francesca came up to the table, Doug said, hey, what would be the best tip that you could have? Uh, how about a new pair of shoes or a purse? And Francesca replied rather quickly, oh, well, really, I just need a car. I need a car. And so suddenly Doug looked at that table of the six real estate agents and he said to those ladies, if you will give me your business, I will give this girl a car. And the six women quickly agreed. And so he turned to Francesca and he said, okay, you get a car. And her response was, sure. What do you want to drink? She didn't believe it. She didn't believe it until about an hour or so later, a brand new Mitsubishi Lancer pulled up and Doug Brown handed her the keys. Francesca could hardly contain herself. Is this really happening? She said, what, what do I say? What do I do? And Doug Brown gave her the words. He said, you say, these are my keys to my new car. Isn't that a cool story? Listen to this. Jesus answered the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we are in the midst of a, a journey through the gospel of John. And in chapter three, we explored a, a private conversation that Jesus had with a man, a prominent and influential Jewish re religious leader who was spiritually lacking. And Jesus helped him to understand the gospel message of starting over by using a picture of what he calls being born again. Now today, in chapter four, we drop in on another private conversation. This time, between Jesus and a woman who was on the outside of society. She was not influential. And the only prominence she had came because of her sinful lifestyle. But she too was spiritually lacking. And Jesus helped her to understand the gospel message of spiritual renewal by using a picture of what he calls living water. And so let's read the first part of this encounter together. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The words are on the screen. Let's read this together. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... 
although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Amen. The word of God. So this story of a nameless Samaritan woman at the well is recorded only here in the Gospel of John. This is one of the, the stories that only John shares with us through his Gospel. And this story is a, a revealing one, full of numerous truths and powerful lessons for us today. This really was an extraordinary woman. She was a Samaritan, a race of people that the Jews utterly despised as having no claim on their God. And so the story of the woman at the well teaches us that God loves us. In spite of our bankrupt lives, he values us. Values us so much that he seeks us. He welcomes us into relationship. He invites us to rejoice in our worship of him. And so this is kind of how I imagine the woman that we find here in John chapter 4. We, we really don't know a whole lot about her, about the details of her life. We do know that she lived in a, in a village named Sychar in, in Samaria, near what's known as, uh, as Jacob's well. And we know that she would draw from this well, but the Bible doesn't tell us much other than she came at the sixth hour of the day. Now, in their timing system at that, in the time of Jesus. The day began at 6 a.m. And so the sixth hour would be around noon. And this would have been the hot part of the day. Most people would have come to carry water in the coolness of the early morning, but not this woman. Why would she come to carry water at such a hot part of the day. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why, but we can make some educated guesses based on some of the details that we find in verses 16 through 19. Now this woman probably didn't have the best of reputations. The scripture tells us that she'd been married five different times and that the man that she was living in with at the time was not her husband. Now, I know it's just a, an inference, but can you imagine what the other women in the small town of Sychar might have thought about this particular lady? You know how small towns are, right? Everyone knows or at least thinks they know everyone else's business. The gossip hotline and the rumor mill runs pretty rampant. I imagine even in today's culture, she would have been looked down upon, maybe even gossiped about. Five husbands. Give me a break, maybe some of the women thought. And now she's working on number six. I wonder how the folks in the town treated her. Can you maybe just kind of imagine some of the conversations 
as those different women came to the well to draw water in the coolness of the evening. Oh no, look, here she comes. I heard she's had four husbands. Oh no, girl, she's had five. She's had five and somebody told me that, that she's working on number six. She's married again? Oh no, no, she's just shacking up right now. Oh, what, what a, I'll let you fill in the blank. And so on it might go, day in. Day out, gossip, rumors flying about. No one, no one taking the time to talk with her, to see things from her perspective. Who, who cares about that? It's much easier to be vindictive than it is to empathize, isn't it? The latest juicy gossip is much more fun than actually diving in to find the truth. And so no wonder, no wonder that she comes to draw water at the sixth hour. She'd rather endure the burning heat of the sun than to experience the searing words and looks from others. She'd rather just be alone, despite her deep, deep need for love and for acceptance. And so, her day begins like any other. She waited until high noon in order to avoid everyone else, but on this day, her trip to the well would impact her life as though she would never be the same again because it was on this day that she met Jesus. And so this morning I want to consider this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. This passage is perhaps one of the high points in John's gospel because included in this conversation is a priceless revelation about true worship and the message of salvation. The, the people in this passage were a despised group, the Samaritans. They were half-breed cousins to the Jews, hated by the Jewish system and the Jewish people. They were rejected by society, both Jews and Gentiles. But they weren't rejected by Jesus. They needed him too. Did you notice in verse 4 it said, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, most Jews purposely traveled around the region of Samaria. They would go a longer, even more difficult route to avoid even coming in close proximity to the Samaritans or to their towns or villages. But here, Jesus feels compelled to go through there. And so in today's text, John shows us that Jesus has a mysterious encounter with a very unlikely audience of one. And this meeting helps us to understand a pattern, a pattern for discovering the genuine truth of God. You see, genuine worship of God requires a friendship with God, a relationship with him. It is more, more than religion, more than reading, more than studying, more than memorizing. If we want to truly encounter God, we must draw near to him. The glory, the beauty of God's truth is revealed when we are ready to receive it. And it's available to anyone, whoever they are, wherever they are. And God's truth this day was revealed to the Samaritan woman that hot afternoon alongside Jacob's well. And so let's take a look at this pattern. And the pattern for discovering God's truth begins with curiosity. 
curiosity aroused. This woman was full of curiosity, don't you think? As she stood by that well, there would have been just many questions running through her mind. Why? Why would this Jew travel through Samaria? Why would this man talk to her? For a rabbi to talk to a woman in public was a violation of custom. And to talk to a sinful Samaritan woman was completely taboo. But Jesus broke the racial, the social barriers because all people are important to him. And he wants to save all. I suppose she asked the question, what? What is this living water he's talking about? Jesus certainly spoke truthfully when he said that the water from the community well would satisfy her only temporarily, but his water stops thirst forever. What can he mean? Living water, what is that? And then perhaps she asked, who? Who? Who is this man? Are you greater than our father Jacob, she asks him? Her curiosity is aroused. You know, many people are curious about Jesus, even today. The offer that he makes of eternal life intrigues some people. It annoys some people. It interests some people. It mystifies others. The offer can be compelling or repelling, depending on one's state of mind. And so what about you? And what about me? Does our transformed life as believers in Jesus Christ, does our transformed life that comes from trusting in Jesus, does it arouse curiosity in our unsaved friends and family? Do the people who see us see change? Change so much in our life that they wonder if perhaps this Jesus could do the same in their life too? What are you doing to, ar- to arouse the curiosity of the people in your life? You see, the pattern for discovering God's truth begins with curiosity. And curiosity then leads to number two, craving. Craving awakened. Sir, give me this water. Jesus says that he can fulfill her craving. Give me some of that. Look at verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The woman's soul desired something that satisfied. Does she understand everything about what Jesus is talking about? Maybe, maybe not. But I think it's likely that she understood at least a part of his meaning. She seemed to have some understanding of the scriptures from the questions she asks him. And this term, living water, certainly should have had a meaning for her if she was familiar with the scriptures. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and in the Psalms, in all those places, they all use that term, living water, to refer to salvation. 
and to the blessings that come from the Messiah. And so her words, I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. They may have been words of just jesting or sarcasm, maybe to cover her deep craving for salvation. Her craving for life was unexpected. You see, the people of the village expected nothing good of this woman. No one likely dreamed that she would have a hunger for cleansing and salvation. Not this woman. She spent years trying to fulfill her craving through relationships with others. Not realizing that the fulfillment that she seeks comes not from religion, but from a relationship with God alone. And so her curiosity has been aroused. Her craving for more has been reawakened. And next we see in this pattern for discovering God's truth that it includes conviction. Conviction felt. And so as she delves further into this mysterious conversation with Jesus, he takes her from her questions to a point of conviction. You know, the truth has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Of stirring up our stuff our junk, our hurts, our hang-ups, our brokenness, our rebellion, our hidden sins. God's truth has a way of pricking us a bit, convicting us. And when craving for forgiveness is awakened, then sinfulness must be revealed. Jesus knew this woman needed to face herself as a sinner, to see herself in that light. And so he said to her, Go and call your husband and come here with him. He then reveals to the woman that he knows all about her. That she's been married five times and now she's living with a man who is not her husband. Jesus knows all of that. And so suddenly her escape from admittance to sin is blocked because he knows the truth. So she tries to change the subject to religion rather than to her life. She wants to discuss where people should worship. But Jesus wants to talk about how people worship. In answer to her attempts to dodge the real subject, Jesus says in verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, to come to God means that we must dig deep. And sometimes digging deep hurts, doesn't it? We know why the Samaritan woman couldn't come to the well in the cool of the day, in the company of other women. It was because no woman in town would have anything to do with her. Perhaps they saw her as a serial seducer, one of those people who knows how to woo but not how to love. But what the Bible doesn't tell us is how she became that way. We don't know. Maybe her problem was her own sin, her own rebellious heart. But maybe, maybe it was also because she'd suffered some brutal attacks from the sins of others throughout her life. Or from the adversary who is dedicated to sowing lies to ruin the thing about us that is most important, and that is our heart. She 
was lost. She didn't know where to go. But suddenly she's exposed to the idea of the heart that God has created in her to beat after his. Maybe she'd been abused by a man when she was young and now had this intertwined thirst for and hatred of the affections of man all at once. She'd reach out for love, but then revert to the lie that she was safer on her own, that she had to go it alone. Perhaps her early experiences taught her that, that love couldn't be trusted, that people couldn't be trusted, so she'd dispose of men before they disposed of her. Maybe she absorbed the lie that limits the idea that chastity or fidelity are good for us. Perhaps she'd seen so much loss and rejection in life that she believed that she could never change. I don't know. I don't know what lies that she has believed. But what I do know is this. Some of the hard, crusty, or even smooth people that we meet every day are hiding secrets they don't speak of often or haven't even faced in themselves. People tend to develop a way of getting by in this world. And sometimes that way seems ugly or awkward or maybe too impressive. But often that is merely the protect, protective, adaptive pile-up of spiritual calluses, the accumulation of anger and fear and anxiety over a place in the heart that got injured or became distorted. And so when they begin to feel conviction from God's truth, they dodge or they overreact or they ignore or they attack. How's your heart in this regard? Are you thirsty? Do you ever ache for something that will rise up to cleanse and heal, to fill and refresh that part of your heart that is dry and cracked and broken? Well, if so, then this message is for you this morning. The seeker has come to meet with you today. He has come to put his spade into the soil of our lives. He has come to dig down deep into the ground of your being, to work his way down to the hidden places, to the cracks of your heart. He's come to bring conviction. Conviction not to hurt us, not to harshly judge us or demean us, but conviction in order to help us find what is broken so that the lies of this world can be replaced with his truth. He's come to pour into that place the living water of his Holy Spirit, the wellspring of his life-giving heart. That's what God wants to do for all of us. And so do you see a pattern developing here? Curiosity, craving, conviction, all with a purpose and a plan to get us to the fourth part of the pattern, conversion. Conversion experienced. 
the Messiah, when he comes, the woman says. As the woman heard Jesus tell her that the way to God did not depend on a place or a specific race of people, but rather upon the condition of our heart, she thought about the promised Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. And it is at that point that Jesus reveals the ultimate truth of all time. I am the Messiah. Let's read these verses together. Verses 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen, the word of God. That is a powerful statement that Jesus makes here. Jesus is the one who shows us to the Father. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And as this truth becomes real for the woman, she realizes perhaps that she is in the presence of the Messiah. And then he confirms it when he says, I'm the guy. I'm the one. And it affects her. It affects her in a great way. She forgets her thirst, doesn't she? She leaves behind her water pot the whole reason she came to the well, and she goes back to town to the very people she was trying to escape and avoid. You see, coming to know Jesus changes us completely. That is true conversion experience. You know, this world is full of offers to fix us, quick fixes to the anger or the fear or the anxiety that afflicts so many of our hearts. We can always find something or someone, someone peddling something to help us rationalize or escape or anesthetize or even admire the stuff that ails us. But what Jesus says is true. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus' invitation is to come to the well, to drink deeply of his grace and to find out what it is to truly live. To truly live as he changes us day by day. And so we see this pattern for discovering God's truth comes full circle. As he finishes with confession. Confession expressed. Because her inner thirst had been satisfied and she is on the path to being completely changed. The woman suddenly is unashamed to talk about the one, the one who had revealed her sins. Let's read verses 28 through 30 together. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Her confession 
has a powerful effect. So much so that the people, the very people that judge her and ridicule her, the very people she's seeking to ignore and to avoid, she goes back to them and invites them to come and to meet Jesus. And the people come streaming from the village to see Jesus for themselves. And the result is indeed amazing. We could say even miraculous. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Here they are, Samaritans, inviting, begging a Jewish rabbi to come and stay in their home with them. And you know what? He did. He stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to that woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They speak confession. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. They believe that. They believe it not because somebody else told them, not because their parents or their grandparents told them, not because a rabbi or a preacher told them. They come to believe it because they have an encounter with Jesus and it changes them forever. And friends, every single person in this world, including every person that you know, Every person you know, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your fellow students, your co-workers, everyone, whether they recognize it or not, every single person is thirsty for the living water, salvation for sin. They don't know it. They may not recognize it, but God has built that desire into us. Everyone desires, but not all are fulfilled. Some will try to quench their thirst with politics or with a career or through relationships with other people. Some will seek the water of adventure or sex or success. But the true living water is available only in Jesus Christ. In January of 2007, a radio station in Sacramento, California, staged a, staged a, a water drinking contest for its listeners. And the intent was to reward the person whose bladder could hold out the longest by giving them a free Nintendo Wii. That was the newest, hottest video game system at the time. Well, 28-year-old Jennifer Strange was one of the contestants. And she hoped to win the game console for her three kids. She did her best, but ultimately she fell short of the grand prize. Tragically, the consequences of her water consumption extended further than anyone would have dreamed. Several hours after the contest, Jennifer informed her co-workers that she was going home with a terrible headache. Later that day, she was found lying on the floor of her home, dead. 
An autopsy later revealed that too much water disrupted the electrolyte balance in her blood. In other words, Jennifer Strange literally died of water intoxication. Well, friends, I tell you that story because this world that we live in offers many, many ways to quench our thirst. But the sad reality is every single one of those ways ends in death. The salvation of the Samaritan woman provides us with a pattern to discover the real source of living water. We will never have a close relationship with God until we thirst after him. That is why Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty? That's what I ask you today. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the living God? Then just come to Jesus and drink and he will fill you until you overflow and become a river of living water that will bless others as well. Isn't that a great pattern? We come to know Jesus and his living water flows through us and out. And like that Samaritan woman, we can go and to those that we know, we can say, come and see. Come and see. That is our role, friends. If we know Jesus, to invite others, to help them see the change in us that comes from Jesus so that they can experience the same change, the same quenching of thirst that we have experienced. Make that your prayer this week, that you might thirst after God and that you might help others in turn thirst after him as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for